the best bartenders that I know, uh, and I'm certainly not one of them. There's there's a lot of bartenders that are so much better at what they do than I am. But I think about the best bartenders that I know, and and I think one of the things that makes them so so good is that they're multifaceted. You know, they they have experiences that that want you to want to want you want to hear their stories, and you want to sit at their bar and you want to mm-hmm. talk to them about you know, whatever it is, whether it's like a deep love of baseball or, you know, a travel uh, itch that they've, that they've, that they've scratched many times or living abroad or, or working different, different fields. Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me, whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here, and so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. Well, well, well. Welcome back, friends. It is time for another episode of Decoding Cocktails. Uh, I am Chris LeBeau, and thank you for joining us. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, we are here in the middle of November at this point, peeking into the holiday season, debatably right on the front end, depending on how you want to start counting things. And so one thing that I thought would be a fun experience for folks, uh, and also an educational one and and delicious, is uh, I'm going to be hosting some Mezcal tastings uh, in person this holiday season, uh, in part because this category is so popular, it is so delicious, but frankly, it is also very daunting. Uh, the variety of plants that can be used, where they're grown, how long they're grown for, how they're processed, all of these things can go ahead and impact that. And so while I know quite a bit about this, frankly, I know that I'm going to be hitting the books really hard, revisiting conversations I've had to make sure I'm prepared. So if you'd be interested, uh, please, please, please check them out, uh, decodingcocktails.com slash event. There will also be a link in the show notes. My guest today is Jeff Savage. He is the head bartender at The Botanist, which is a restaurant and bar at the Fairmont Pacific Rim Hotel in Vancouver, Canada. And... I was uh, interested to talk with Jeff because, look, in so many cocktail bars out there right now, you have all sorts of wild and crazy and fun things happening. You know, there can be very simple riffs on classics. You can also have things that are incredibly complex. um, And there's all sorts of different alchemy and science going on out there. But at uh, the botanist, one thing that's true is uh, Jeff and his team actually have what they call a cocktail lab. So they have a full-on dedicated space um, that is visible, but it is their prep space, but also a place where they can really do really in-depth uh, cocktail presentations. And so for um, someone who is really working to push the limits on what all a cocktail is, what can go into it, what we, what can we do to these things, I thought that would be a fun conversation. And so I asked Jeff and he took time to talk through two different cocktails. One that seemingly uh, looks simple, but still requires uh, quite a bit of prep effort in order for him to be able to quickly pour something into a glass for you. 
and another one that really requires quite a bit of engineering. Uh, some of these things went on hiatus uh, during COVID, but uh, they are kind of ramping back up right now. And to that point, I should uh, acknowledge that so uh, one of the big uh, liquor holding companies is called Diageo, and Diageo has a, an annual competition called World Class. And it's typically people compete by country and then globally. And so in 2019, uh, Jeff won Canada's uh, regional or national award, whatever you want to call that, and then placed second in the global competition. Uh, so, uh, so props to him. Uh, and Michelin, the guide, just gave uh, the Fairmont an uh, exceptional cocktail award. So good for them. Uh, it was also validating and useful to think about that we have witnessed cocktails. They're just on this trajectory right now, which is really exciting. But Jeff said uh, one thing that he is thankful for is that when they were building out the botanist, the bar was not an afterthought. It wasn't, well, once we get the kitchen designed, then we'll worry about the bar. It was, let's focus on both things at the same time. Jeff says this makes sure that they have the proper amount of space uh, to prep in. They're not bumping up against the kitchen. And frankly, they're not viewed as second class. They uh, they really see themselves as a very collaborative partner of the kitchen, and they feel like they're an equal-valued member of the team. And so that was um, really interesting to hear. Uh, a little thing that I think is important and just worth noting, and this really gets to how much do you want to be fussy over cocktails to begin with, but you'll hear that Jeff talks several times about weighing stuff. And I remember uh, watching a masterclass conversation with um, Chef Thomas Keller from the French Laundry and him talking about that really at the end of the day, you should take your measuring cups and measuring spoons and you should throw them all away. Uh, Keller's thing was that weight is the only way to be certain about what you really have. And so for Jeff and his team, who are really pushing things to the limit in a five-star hotel, so obviously uh, exceptional quality is expected. Uh, it sounds like they weigh pretty much everything, and I thought that was something good to come back to. So um, um, final thing, Jeff does kind of quickly rattle off a bunch of equipment that they use in their lab. I will have links to all of that so that um, you can look any of it up if you'd like to. Finally, um, if you want to see the lovely space Jeff gets to work in, that is at Botanist Dining. And uh, his uh, Instagram handle is at uh, Father of Cups. I forgot to ask him what that's all about, um, but uh, I'll have to chase him down and see what, that, what that's all about. So that's what I've got for today. Um, uh, enjoyed today's lesson. Like I said, everything's in the show notes. And so here you have it, uh, Jeff Savage of The Botanist. Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time to talk today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm always interested to start with, is there a moment you remember falling in love with or deciding you were going to commit to this industry at some point in your career? Uh, yeah, absolutely there was. You know, for me, it, it maybe it was a stream of moments that kind of kind of came together, but uh, a little bit of my backstory is that I, I worked for the University of Alberta uh, for a number of years in, in the kind of like an academic role and specifically in sustainability. Um, 
And if anybody's, you know, worked in academia, I think the first thing that you know is that it's very stressful, uh, long hours, and very little pay, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, it, it made it a little bit difficult to find a work-life balance. And, uh, you know, I, I did some really cool things with the university. We had an award-winning program. Uh, we created what is now the Office of Sustainability. I traveled around the world with it. Um, but... You know, I when it was coming to, to have my contract uh, renewal process, uh, you know, I was walking to university, I was walking to campus every every day, and I just there was an old grimy pizza place right by uh, right by the university. I walked by every day, and one day it sold, um, and it it you know I, I I slowly learned that it sold to these three guys that were interested in opening up like a small plates cocktail bar kind of thing. Uh, and I, I could tell it was these three guys because it was always the three of them that were working on it, you know, like putting the work in and, and building the bar out and, you know, building the kitchen and all of that. And, you know, it was a small place, so you could see it, uh, every day I was walking by, you could see it. And, uh, you know, it just was really inspiring. I love the idea of like, you know, working with your hands, with your hearts kind of at the same time. And I missed that. And I missed, uh, you know, connecting to what felt like, you know, the real world outside of academia. So, uh, the week that I um, that I was supposed to re- sign my contract, I walked into their bar instead, and you know they hadn't been open yet. But I was like, you know, this is really cool watching you build this space out. Uh, hire me, and uh, <laughs> they did. Yeah, they hired me as a as as kind of the opening bar guy, and I was there for like four years, and that was like a really transformative space uh, for me. Obviously, like changing careers. So it just, yeah, that, I guess that moment of just realizing like, you know, these people are building what they, what they want to build and they're building it passionately was really inspiring to me. And, uh, and so when you came into that, Jeff, were you brand new to hospitality at that point or, or uh, did you kind of have the casual experience or were you like, Hey, I'm just going to build it from the ground up right here, right now? Uh, I definitely wasn't fresh to it. I mean, I had been working in kitchens during my during my uh, education. Uh, I'd been working in restaurants as ser- as a server bartender. Um, so yeah, no, I've definitely I've definitely been around a little bit, but I I think it was more casual. You know, I, I always think about it like that ninety ten split in our industry. That ninety percent of like, you know, we're here to 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 get paid and and to go on and do other things, which is totally great. Um, and that ten percent, of course, being people like me that spend their lives uh, doing all doing all of these things. Um, but I think that was that moment that like that ninety percent me turned into that ten percent me. Got it. No, that's uh, that's helpful. And is there, you know, in addition to to knowing, uh, like I, I've kind of learned that in my own career, you know, in my own arc, uh, finding this later in life. Uh, is there as you kind of settled into it? Uh, what what are what are some of the things about that first jump right there with them that you are most proud of or or remember in terms of really helping solidify that decision for you? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Something I should probably have thought about beforehand too, right? <laughs> Introspectively, um, you know, I I think one of the, one of the things that was really clear to me was that like you, you know being in academia and, and speaking on a on like a academic stage and and all that, I was never really like a shy person. Um, but uh, I think that it, you know, I, I just like most people had it had difficulty, like, 
really engaging with strangers and people that I hadn't met and people that I didn't have any sort of like reason to interact with. Um, so that really helped that for me. And like that, just like that little touch of personal growth was really helpful. Um, you know, we opened this, we opened this bar and it was like a pretty, it was a pretty rudimentary scene, uh, in, in Edmonton, Alberta, where we, where we did it. Um, and we put on, uh, 10 cocktails on our list and it like blew people's minds because they had never had an old fashioned before, you know, they didn't have like a cherry muddled into it and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I think just seeing like the reaction and, and the elation, um, that people had when you're like really providing them like something quite simple, um, but something fundamental and something, you know, really high quality. Um, and, and, you know, I think anybody who's, who's had that switch from, you know, going to university and spending like way too long and way too much money doing, uh, doing the thing. Um, I had to explain it to my parents as well, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like not super fun, uh, at the beginning, like, okay, so you did this thing and, and now you're going to be a bartender. Yeah. Um, but we had, a we had an experience where, you know, this, this restaurant uh, never did brunch, but we decided, you know, in our like second year to do one day of brunch because, you know, people keep asking and it's like, we'll give you one day. <laughs> and um, my parents lived about, about three hours away and they decided to come up for it. And so they came to, to the restaurant and it was a first come first serve brunch. And mm-hmm. man, I, I kid you not the, the lineup to get in, our restaurant spanned like a block and a half. Like it was this huge lineup and they just were, as my parents were able to walk right in and like sit down in front of my bar. And then it was like seeing it click for them. And then also like seeing that I could, you know, do that for the people that I love really was like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is right. Well, I'll also say one, I'm glad that they were able to get on board with it. But I think about uh, uh, people I've met in this world who, who, who they've had all that schooling or all that time in a career and they never, ever, despite the fact that they don't care for it, ever walk away. And, you know, it's like, okay, that's the whole cost of, well, I studied, so I guess I just have to suffer through this for the rest of my life as opposed to being able to take the leap into the new thing. So good for you. Uh, So I I did see as we kind of dug into research on you a little bit that something about... uh, bartending in thailand at a resort did this come jeff uh before uh after this place in alberta or was this something that happened earlier on for you yeah that was a that was probably my, my first really like experience behind a bar uh, and it's it's like pretty silly you know i think i think you're giving it too much credence I, i'll be honest with you chris <laughs> it's, uh it, it's it so i i uh i decided you know i had i had been accepted to university and I just I don't know what it was but I decided I wanted to, to furlough that and go travel for you know the better part of a year mm-hmm. and my friend and I found ourselves yeah in in Thailand as like you know 19 year old kids uh which is you know a pretty wild culture shock to begin with one of the first places we went to um was a little island called Kolanta and we fell in love with this uh this couple that um was just kind of like running a you know a little not even like a resort i don't know like a a bar restaurant with you know a bunch of like little houses attached to it really sweet couple though 
Uh, and we and they decided to just offer us the opportunity to like get behind that bar and uh, kind of you know work for our our, our room and board kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that, uh, and it was I mean honestly it's like so simple. You know it was you know, people making, you know I don't know if you've ever heard of the that bucket. Have you ever heard of a tie bucket before? Uh, in in process of prep for this, I saw you write about it, but uh, despite having been to Thailand, I have never uh, had had the pleasure of one. So you're a smart man. <laughs> you're a smart man. They have um, uh, you might have had sang song before. They call it they call it Thai whiskey. I think mm-hmm. it's actually distilled with sugarcane, though. Um, but it, it's a small bottle of that, a small bottle of Coca Cola, and, and one of the Thai Red Bulls in a bucket. It's like maybe well, he I don't know. You can imagine what that does to a person. Yeah. Um, but things like that. And then like, what are they? Uh, they wanted me to create a Canadian cocktail. So we did like the Canadian sling, which I think was just like rye and ginger ale and like, I don't know, grenadine maybe like something really, really dumb. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was like honestly uh, a, a pretty rudimentary experience. But I still do carry that to my to, to my core to this day specifically because of the couple uh, that, that mm-hmm. hosted us there. You know, they, he, was, he was from uh, from Southern China. She's from Thailand. And, like, they took turns cooking for us mm-hmm. and teaching us techniques and, and stuff like that. And, man, that, that food and, and the, way that, the way that they prepared things, like, that really changed how I thought about food, um, you know, and, and how I thought about, like, uh, paying honor to ingredients and stuff like that. I mean, we were right on the beach and, you know, um Mia was her name we would like get fish like coming in you know regularly and she would get so excited about these different types of fish that like man as a 19 year old prairie kid I had no idea what what they were about <laughs> um so you know it, it yeah I got I got the experience of like making a couple drinks but I, I think moreover it, it just it just showed me how broad this this uh this whole hospitality world is you know and 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 the differences in you know, appreciation and, and, and yeah, I guess maybe teleologically you can look at, like, I can look at thinking about these people being so excited about what they had and, you know, what they had was a small bar and, you know, a couple of rooms uh, on a beautiful, beautiful beach. Um, And maybe teleologically looking at that and seeing, you know, the passion that I saw with, with the guys in Edmonton, I could see some similarities to that, I suppose. Uh, what's the line? If you're not happy with what, what you have, you, you won't ever be happy with, I, I forget the line exactly, but yeah, I think, you know, if you're not happy where you are, how will you ever be happy somewhere else? And this idea of practicing some level of gratitude for, you know, you're not running a, you know, 400 bedroom resort, you know, called the Ritz, you know, you have a modest thing, but if you can take great pride in that, you know, there's, there's really something to that. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I agree wholeheartedly. So between Thailand, and if I understand, you know, maybe as you were kind of working all your time in academia, it seems like you also, if I'm correct, spent a good chunk of time in the Middle East. Are there, when you think about that travel as a whole, are there ways it shifted you or it kind of helped inform what you do today at all? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would be the person that I am without, without, having that travel backbone. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's hard for me to like really pinpoint down what that, what that looked like. But, um, when it comes to, 
when it comes to the Middle East, it specifically was was for the most part centered in in Turkey. Uh, I I did a kind of last final year of my my school in there, and then I spent a good chunk of time kind of traveling through the entire country. And I mean, you know, I I think about it like the best bartenders that I know, uh, and I'm certainly not one of them. There's there's a lot of bartenders that are so much better at that what they do than I am, but. I think about the best bartenders that I know, and, and I think one of the things that makes them so so good is that they're multifaceted. You know, they they have experiences that that want you to want to want you want to hear their stories, and you want to sit at their bar and you want to mm-hmm. talk to them about, you know, whatever it is, whether it's like a deep love of baseball or you know a, a travel uh, itch that they've that they've that they've scratched many times, or living abroad or or working different different fields like. I think for me, you know, the more people that I that I know in this industry that, you know, have this kind of like multifaceted aspects of their life, which I mean, I, granted, I think most people do. Um, but, you know, that that broad experience can be really useful. And I mean, I, I bring it into into a fact that, you know, yes, I can talk about flavors that, you know, might not might not come to other people's minds because you know i've, I've had those experiences like I, I love to use rose and i use rose in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. um because specifically of some of the things that i had in turkey like pickled oh, rose thorns which i didn't know you could eat until i ate them <laughs> um and, and and uh yeah I, I i just think additionally you know outside of making cocktails and and preparing flavor in combinations like I work in a, in a hotel, I work in a five-star hotel that has people that visit from all over the world. And it seems really connective and really special to be like, oh yeah, I spent time in your city. I love your city, you know? And I can tell you, like, we can talk about spaces that, that we've both been to in, in Turkey or in, you know, wherever it is. And I really do value the connective nature of travel for that reason. You know, I, I can, we can talk about, we can talk about experiences that we've had together. And I think that's really valuable. Agreed a hundred percent. And I think about, you know, my own times and travels and just having to be so, uh, I don't know if uncomfortable is the right word, but out of, out of your own rhythm of how the world works, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, having been to Thailand, having lived in Malaysia, you know, it certainly is a thing where, uh, you, you learn there's certainly the, the way you know life is lived, and then there's a whole bunch of other ways, too, that kind of, you know, in addition to helping you see how that life, you know, people live, it just gives you so much more empathy for the different facets people are up against every day in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I wrote a lot when I was traveling, and uh, a line that I think about, like, this is like self-indulgent because it's a line that I wrote, <laughs> but uh, a line that I think about all the time is, like, me as a 19 year old kid writing like you know i didn't realize that i could see my culture so differently standing outside of it you know seeing 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 who i am and and where i come from from the outside it really changed what i what i you know see about myself and see about uh about the world i live in and and i'm sure you're the exact same way when it comes to that 100%. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, certainly being able to look back at your country from afar is, uh, is, uh, is a wild and interesting experience. Everybody should, uh, sign themselves up for at some point. I agree. So you mentioned, you know, be obviously being at a five-star hotel sounds, sounds lovely. Uh, so speaking of that, 
you know, pretty much everybody out there listening has been to a cocktail bar before, but I don't know that a lot of people have necessarily been to what might be called a cocktail lab. What in the heck is that? And what would I expect if I walked into one? Wow. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I, so I, I guess just a little bit of context, you know, every other restaurant and bar that I've worked at, uh, you know, the bar has the bar space, of course. And I think that if it seems like most, most bars and restaurants that I've worked at, uh, the bar is actually like the afterthought, you know, like, Oh, we'll build a really cool bar top and, you know, we'll build like whatever it is, a bar with a ladder. So you can have 500 bottles of scotch up there, which is like, awesome. Don't get me wrong. But functionally speaking, I mean, 99% of the time that I've, I've worked at a bar with the exception of where I'm at right now, we don't have a space to make our own prep and do our own ingredients and, and, and that kind of thing. We're kind of based around when the kitchen uh, is not in use, you know, mm-hmm. or based around when there's no guests in, in house and, you know, working on the bar top, which can obviously be, be sticky and greasy and like you name it. So our, our lab functions first and foremost for us to, to craft ingredients and, and to build uh, kind of the invisible labor and the, and the, the things that you don't see going into our cocktails. Uh, it's attached to our bar. Uh, it's a, there's a glass kind of dome around it so you can look into it and there's some neat ingredients and, and things going on there. Uh, yeah, but it gives us, it gives us a space to do things like ferments and, and long infusions and, and, and you name it. Um, we've got a couple of really unique tools in there. Uh, you know, we've got a centrifuge, we've got our vac sealer, which is like literally the most critical piece of equipment in our bar. Uh, we've got uh, a rotary evaporator, which is quite exciting to use as well. And is like shown first and foremost when you come into the bar and it just shows that we, uh, we like science, I guess is what it looks like. <laughs> it looks like science. I don't know how else to describe a rotary evaporator, but, um, we have, uh, we have our dry ice. We have our, um, our, I mean, our fridges and our freezers are in there. Our dehydrator is in there. Uh, you know, our, like even things as simple as our pocket refractometer are in there and like, you know, things that, things that we use to, to craft the, all the, all the flavors and all the, the things that we, we do for our, uh, for our bar program. Now we also, uh, we also have a, a series of cocktails. I will say they're on hiatus right now as we, as we do kind of rebuild our bar team after, after the ravages of the last couple of years. Um, but our, our style of bar, essentially, we have our, our regular cocktail list, which I will be honest with you, has like, you know, lots and lots and lots of behind the scenes work going into all those, all those cocktails. But we also, um, you know, again, with the caveat of, of those being on pause right now, have a, a lab series. Uh, and those drinks are, are a lot more elaborate, uh, a lot more like bigger presentation pieces, uh, drinks that, you know, bring in we we have all of our drinks on that on that menu bring in a different element of nature so we have like earth air fire water spirits uh as our as our basis for those and and, um yeah there's like those those cocktails come out of our lab we have a little um space specifically for those uh they're made to you know kind of excite and and inspire and make people laugh and 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 be and be quite fun in that regard so yeah, I mean the the lab is 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 quite 
multi-purpose, I suppose. You know, it, it also gives us an opportunity to step off the bar and, uh, you know, have a glass of water or uh, just take a breath, you know, because we are quite a busy space. But yeah, I, I, ultimately, it, it really it really is just, it's absolutely wonderful to have a dedicated space that, you know, we can focus on on ingredient preparation, but also, you know, I can, I can work through training and I can, I can stand and, and work through, you know, the creation of new ingredients with, uh, with our bar team and that kind of thing. Well, I guess a couple of things. One, I think we've got your tagline, come to the cocktail lab. It looks like science, I <laughs> think would be, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I also really like that your point of, um, you know, even if it's hard for someone to visualize, what does it look like to put a bar, a bar space forward to put it first? I think we can also say like, okay, what does it look like when we're not, uh, putting a bar space where it belongs in terms of, oh, not being, you know, having to prioritize their own prep around the kitchen and not like that we should suddenly be penalizing the kitchen, but like, if we're taking this stuff really seriously, here is the kind of environment that's going to enable people to do the hard work as opposed to try to fit it in when possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like you, you hit the nail on the head there too, because like our, our restaurant program, our kitchen is like phenomenal and they are doing the exact same things. Like, right. you know, chef is dry aging duck for 20 days in house. And he's like dry aging fish and doing all the ferments. And so like, I would never want to have what we do impact on what they want to do and vice versa, you know? And, and, and I, I think I having, again, having worked in spaces with some really talented chefs, some really amazing individuals. Um, I would say that the, the program that we have here has always, it always blows me away with what, what the kitchen does and the ability that chef Hector Laguna, who's our, who's our uh, executive chef, um, he's so willing to collaborate and he's so excited and so open. And we do a lot of collaborative dinners and, and experiences. Um, and maybe part of it is the fact that we have our own space and he has his, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I've had roommates and we get along until we don't. And because it's, you know, maybe you're in a two bedroom apartment and it's tiny and like somebody didn't clean up after themselves when they had breakfast. And it's like, those little things can really irritate you, you know? And, and, uh, maybe we just have the luxury of having, you know, we live in our own, our own apartments. We just happen to be like Jerry and Kramer, you know, on one side and the other. (laughs) I would like to take a minute to note. That's the first time uh, we've had a Jerry and Kramer reference on this uh, podcast. So let that not be the last. Uh, That's good. Um, (laughs) So, you know, you know, your own program better than me. So I don't want to, uh, bite off what could be like an 18 minute answer here, but I, I I am interested in all the invisible labor that goes into to putting these, you know, whether it's something that is truly, you know, over the top thing from the lab or just, I'm, I'm sure at your bar program. So I guess I was curious, is there a drink that you could maybe that takes, you know, some reasonable amount of effort to produce, would you mind talking, uh, through with us what it takes to get that drink roughly from start to finish and if that's too complex of a question we can always punt on it there no 
no, I think that's, I think that's a great question. And some things, uh, some things that seem so simple and straightforward. Yeah. Like they can be quite complex. Um, I'll think of two really quickly and we won't be 18 minutes, but uh, <laughs> I'll talk about one that seems really, really simple and one that is quite complex. Uh, the first one is our, is our botanist Martini as uh, a house Martini. And, you, you know, I, I put this on the menu a little while ago and it's, it's been so popular with, and I love it so much that, you know, we've just kind of kept it on for, for a while. Um, it is like, if anybody's been to a bar that does this, it's not uncommon, but it's a freezer martini. Um, so what that means, you know, we at the bar literally pull, we have a freezer that's behind, uh, behind our wells. We pull a bottle out and pour, you know, five ounces of this martini uh, into your glass and garnish it. And there you go. So it's like really simple. Um, but, uh, Chris, you say like invisible labor. I I like that. You know, I, I think that, um, I think about our bar program, like, like a kitchen would uh, in a lot of ways, like the mise en place is really important to us. Mm -hmm. All that work behind scenes. So I give you like a really clean and really simple and, and and thoughtful presentation at the beginning, uh, in front of a guest. So the, the freezer martini, uh, you know, it, it took, like of all the drinks that we have on our menu, that one took me the longest to perfect because wow. a martini is so simple, right? It's, it's, yep. it's, it's, you know, your spirit base, your modifier, and maybe a dash of a, of a, you know, enhancer. So the, the drink itself, um, you know, we, we uh, weigh everything. So we, we weigh three different gins that took us a good amount of time to kind of figure out which gin and, and what level we want to use. Uh, uh, we use a local gin here and from the U S and, and one from uh, the UK. Uh, we have our own uh, house made sherry based vermouth uh, that we also weigh in there um, mm. and throw that in as well uh, by weight. Um, and then as our modifier or like our, you know, technically like our orange bitter dash basically in, in the, in the martini, uh, we have four different infusions that we blend together um, to make what we call our seaborne tincture. So the seaborne tincture includes uh, wild spruce tips, wild elderflower, uh, lemon verbena, and salt water. And we blend those all together in ratio and then add that into our, uh, into our martini batch. Uh, uh, and then we use reverse osmosis water uh, to, again, by weight, uh, dilute it uh, to the percentage that we want. And then that goes into the freezer and we don't have to worry about it, which is quite nice. Uh, and that like our garnish, like the thing about this is, is when you do something like that and it's a really simple pour, you can get more elaborate with things like the garnish and the presentation. Mm -hmm. So our garnish is, is a, is an oyster leaf. Uh, it's colloquially known as an oyster leaf. It's, it's a, the plant is called a sea bluebell. Uh, and so that, like they call it that because it, it grows in the intertidal zone. It's a little brassica and it, when mm. you eat it, it's got that like richness and oiliness of an oyster. Like it tastes like an oyster. It's quite, it's quite fun. Mm. Um, and then we finished that on top where it, it looks like the, the bluebell leaf just feels like it's, it's, it's shaped uh, to hold in uh, moisture. I think you can picture like uh, some of those plants that when it rains, it just kind of like the dew drops kind of stick to it. Um, so we create a, a what we call a vegan caviar, um, which is mm. a cucumber pearl uh, that we like. We spherify the cucumber, uh, we lacto ferment it, and then we kind of pressure uh, treat it with uh, elderflower and absinthe. 
and the cucumber juice as well. So yeah, that's like one drink. <laughs> yeah. Hey, could I, I feel like a couple of these things I've heard before, but just make sure like, so for people, um, at home, the, um, the cucumber that you were spherifying. So is this when like the texture of it breaks down so much that essentially like it will collapse on itself? Like, uh, would you mind explaining what it means to spherify yeah, a, cu yeah. a cucumber, please? Yeah, I mean, the, the spherification thing that I'm talking about is like really simple. We're using a melon baller to, to, pull, to, to make a little sphere out of it. But the, just the whole process of that, uh, we, we do that and then we compress it uh, in a vac seal bag. And when you compress it, you know, you're, you're allowing the, you know, cellular walls and the pores of that, of that, uh, of that ingredient to open. And we're mm -hmm. marinating it with that, um, the absinthe, the elderflower, the cucumber juice. And then we're adding the salts uh, to, to induce a little bit of lacto fermentation as well. Um, so when you get the, when you get the pearl, it's like the text, like if I have to tell people all the time that it, what it is, because it feels so different it looks it looks so different and like it tastes like so unique yeah the cucumber obviously brings its own flavor but like that cucumber absinthe elderflower salt combination is such a nice such a nice combination so yeah that's that's what i mean by spherify and I, we just simply put vegan caviar on the menu because i don't want to i want to bore everybody with the details if they just want to for a martini <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to order a martini here. I don't need a, yeah. A seven minute explanation. No, that's great. That's great. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Go ahead. So the, the second one I can talk about, this is, this is our uh, cocktail called into the ether. Uh, this is one, I, like I said, again, we're, we're currently pausing just because, you know, we have a smaller bar, much smaller bar team than when we, uh, a couple of years ago, 2019, I guess we'll say. Um, but, but this one is quite fun as well. And it's, it's, it's one that, um, we took to Amsterdam and won a global title with uh, the Bulls around the world, uh, world's best bar team. It's quite fun. So uh, Bulls Geneva is, is our base um, that, you know, it's got that richness, that oiliness. Uh, it's kind of think like a, think a martini uh, esque, I guess, but, but what we wanted to do, uh, I said with our lab cocktails, we have earth, air, fire, water, and this was our last one, the spirit um ether as you want to call it what then and thinking about like how it can kind of incorporate all those like earthy the earthiness the you know like light airy floral freshness the fire like the water all of those things um so bulls geneva is our base uh and we make this uh this is like way too complex uh using you know um okanagan based wine white wine and then just like rapidly infusing some ingredients slow infusing some other ones which uh we end up putting uh putting our part of our vermouth uh we've put in the freezer and then just like slowly infused so it doesn't go as fast um and then we've got uh things like uh a smoked uh white tea that we use that's a cold infusion and then it's very very lightly smoked uh a touch of, of peated whiskey a touch of um maraschino liqueur and so all those all those things come together, and then in our in our lab when we were building it, basically we had created these boxes um, that had uh, space for dry ice. So we would add the dry ice into this box. Uh, we would aromatize the dry ice uh, specifically with grapefruit oil uh, mm. and a little bit of um, of spruce tip oil, uh, and then 
when you present the drink, uh, it's like that's a really complex presentation. You get this box, uh, our glasses on the side, and our um, our carafe of the of the diluted and, and created cocktail. The the uh, bartender uh, would bring the box, and we always have a little bit of a discussion about you know what our inspiration is and. I like to I like to tell my bartenders to think about it like a cocktail presentation in a competition, uh, which is kind of fun that we can offer that to our guests. Um, put down the box, we pour in a, a little carafe of hot water into the dry ice that's you know underneath. It starts to billow and create a little cloud, mm-hmm. and then inside the box we had um, basically like a little magnet station uh, that we could click the um, the glass into place and it actually floats uh it floats in place it floats over cloud give it a light spin and then pour the pour the cocktail into the glass as well it's uh yeah they're really fun it's it's really elaborate and <laughs> you can see why i can't do that with three bartenders right now <laughs> yeah yeah i would imagine that takes a couple of minutes to pull off yeah 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 uh yeah, yeah and what was it I, I think i saw you say somewhere like the difference between a bartender and a mixologist is about 10 minutes or something like that. I think that's one of your lines. So yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. I, okay. Uh, so a couple of things, just like ground level questions or explanations for people out there, would you mind talking about, uh, Geneva a little bit? I feel like for some people that could be a thing they've seen the bottle, they've even tasted it in a drink, but frankly, uh, held to a point to ask to describe it they'd be like uh what's that again so would you mind yeah. giving us a baseline of that please yeah absolutely i mean it's the it's the dutch national spirit so anybody who's been to amsterdam has probably had it um specifically in a in a style of a uh, service called kopstuches which i'm probably pronouncing incorrectly but uh it's it's quite a fun presentation it's a little tulip glass that they fill to the absolute meniscus uh, and have a beer on the side. And the whole point is you can't pick up the glass without spilling it. So you have to like lean down and, and sip from the, from the meniscus. Cops do chess or, or however you want to say that word means like headbutt because the first time you people do it, they often hit their head on the, on the, on the beer that's served beside them, <laughs> which is quite funny. Um, but the, the spirit itself is, is like, earthy malty like oily uh and like very flavorful and often a lot of flavors that don't necessarily translate into um you know the western palate uh which is kind of interesting so i like to i like to describe it when people have never heard of it before we've never had it before i like to describe it as basically the precursor to gin you know Mm -hmm. historically speaking you know you have the english and the dutch uh warring you have them like you know doing the whole thing uh, and the English were watching these, these Dutch soldiers like quaff something and go into battle. Uh, and they coined it Dutch courage, which you might've heard that term yep. before. Yep. Uh, and you know, like that connection with the Dutch, uh, was what really started the, the gin craze in, uh, in England. Uh, so you know, it, it's similar insofar as it's a, you know, it's a fairly neutral spirit that's been uh flavored with different different ingredients you know you can almost think about it like maybe like in 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 many parts of of europe especially northern uh and 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 in eastern europe you had vodka 
uh, and the way it translated from different places, uh, you know, you can you can think about how it went. I guess you can think about it going, you know, south and, and people adding things like anise and licorice root to making things like raka and ouzo and um, sambuca. Mm-hmm. You know, it went north to Scandinavia and you had uh, people make uh, akavit, you know, with mm-hmm. caraway and dill seed. Uh, when it came to the Dutch, uh, they, they did a couple different things. That, first of all, they infused it with a lot of different things. Um, but they also uh, made it with malted, uh, malted grain, which gives this kind of like textural creaminess and, and, and mouthfeel that's pretty strange, like I said, to, to like a North American palate. Um, but then they infused it with a lot of different things. Uh, Geneva or Yeniver, or again, I'm not Dutch, so I'm not really sure 100% how to pronounce it, but that's the, that's the Dutch word for juniper. So you can kind of see that connection with, mm. uh, with gin. And, and so as it, as it moved forward, the British, uh, as they are so wont to do, kind of adopting something from another culture and making it their own, uh, turned it into, into what we now know as, uh, as gin, you know, infusing, infusing juniper and dropping the malted grain kind of aspect of it um, and, uh, and creating, I think, what is a little bit well, more well-known than, than Geneva. I think it's a little bit easier on the palate, but that's, that's kind of like the rudimentary explanation. It's a, it's a little bit uh, like an old world gin almost. It's, it, it, when, you, when, you read old, um, when you read old books uh, about, about, uh, about cocktails and stuff, it, it's often used uh, just under some different monikers as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, the Cole's notes of it all. That was, uh, you know, that whole vodka to Sambuca to aqua, Aquavit to uh, Geneva thing. That was, uh, that was really, really cool. I'm gonna, yeah, that, that was fun. Thank you. Uh, that yeah. was, that, that was a cool little explanation about how things can start with a basic base and kind of become their own based on what you're infusing in. I liked that. That's Thank fun, you. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, with all of the, uh, so, oh, I also wanted to ask, uh, you talked about aromatizing the ice. I think it was with grapefruit. And my question was, uh, is this something, Jeff, that the ice freezes and then you are dropping the aroma on the surface? Or are you, for example, like putting grapefruit oil into water and then putting that into ice molds? Uh, I should be clear about that one. That When we're talking about that one, I'm using dry ice. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, yep. so the dry ice, we, we add in a little bit of oils and, and that it's such a cool vector because you can like physically see the, you know, the vapors and stuff, but you can, it also pulls out the, all the aromas, but yeah, that's, that's what I mean when I'm talking about that one. Got it. Okay. Okay. I was just thinking of little uh, tricks people could uh, try at home there. Got it. Okay. My guess is a lot of people don't have dry. Yeah. A lot of people probably don't have dry ice at home. So never mind. All right. Uh, But so to that point, and this could obviously be real, basic here and don't no need to overtax the brain but i was curious for people that you know want to play cocktail lab in miniature at home are there any basic uh infusions or things you might suggest somebody try that they're not going to necessarily need a, a, a centrifuge for or whatever that might be fun to throw into a classic they're already making totally yeah um one of our more popular drinks, and, and actually one of the sim- one of the simpler ones on our menu right now, is called the Cape Padre, uh, and that cocktail is it's basically a Negroni. 
just a little bit of a different build. Okay. Uh, we, instead of sweet vermouth, uh, we're using a, a Spanish white vermouth. Okay. Instead of uh, Campari, we're using Aperol. And instead of gin, we're using tequila that's been infused with uh, with cranberries, wild cranberries. Hmm. That's honestly quite a simple uh, way to do it. Um, but the flavors are quite neat. We just we augment it with a, a couple dashes of orange blossom water and then add a grapefruit twist. But the the combination of those of those ingredients with the cranberry really is really nice because you know cranberries tannic uh, and it's it's more um, it's more of a smell to it I, I guess than a than a flavor. Yep. Uh, that one is is super simple. Uh, we add you know uh, per bottle we add 125 grams of cranberry. Uh, we let it sit for basically a day and a half. Um, after the first day, we kind of break all the skins and, and let the let the tequila really infuse into it. Um, but yeah, that one is like super simple, uh, really easy to make and like really flavorful, especially I, I think that, you know, out over the past, say, decade or so, I think people are getting more excited about tequila. Yep. Um, so that's a really fun one to kind of introduce. It's it. It tastes like bright and fresh, even though it reads and sounds a little bit um, more stirred and, and Negroni like, but, but adding the cranberry, the Aperol, the orange blossom water is, is really nice. Mm. Um, an, another thing I think is, is really useful uh, and something that, again, we use a lot is tea. We use yeah. a lot of different types of tea here. You know, we, we get really weird with it and we get like, <laughs> you know, Canadian smoked, uh, like Canadian wood smoked teas and we get white teas and pu'er and oolong and, and like again some really really nerdy stuff um, but you don't have to get that nerdy i mean things like a simple a simple syrup that's made with you know like earl gray is is delicious and yeah. so versatile uh or you know something with with green tea i mean i i think that people make fun of me at, at our bar a lot because i i i am i am quite obsessed with tea and i, I love the way that it's a simple way to, to extract so much flavor and so much texture as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe using those kind of things um, instead of a, instead of a, a classic simple syrup, you know, maybe using a, a black tea uh, simple syrup for your old fashioned can work really well. Mm-hmm. Or using, um, you know, a, a, a dash of a green tea simple syrup to add a little bit of like even a small dash in, into a, into a classic martini to add a little bit of texture and, and, and green tea tannins can be really fun too. Yeah, Jeff. And I think I've seen people write about this before. So the idea is if you're using kind of a, a richer syrup, you don't want to use a lot of it, but like in the case of building a martini and let's just say it's a classic two parts gin, one part vermouth, adding a, a dash or a bar spoon or something. And I, I don't know where, where it would be too much, but essentially that's going to soften the flavor a bit and create a little bit more uh, texture. Is that kind of the read right there? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, a, a martini, um, a martini is a textural cocktail, you know, and, and it's a really simple one. And, you know, I, I always like to say that martinis are like the most democratic cocktail there is because you can really have it like whatever way you want. Yeah. Um, and there's no really wrong way. But yeah, adding adding a little bit, like honestly, a dash or yeah, yeah a bar spoon, half a bar spoon, into into your martini. I mean, it, martinis, especially if if you know the gin you're using is quite hot or the vermouth you're using is is a little bit uh, lighter bodied, like they can come off quite sharp. And I think to 
a palate that isn't uh, super well versed in, in drinking like, you know, straight spirits and things like that, it can be a little bit abrasive. So adding something in like that is like, you're exactly right. That's, that can be really helpful in, in making something maybe a little bit more palatable for, for somebody. And Jeff, since they're uh, close kissing cousins or whatever the term is for somebody that's uh, given more of a shot at a, a Manhattan would a dash play there? Obviously we're talking about an age spirit and a sweet vermouth, but if someone's looking to, uh, and part of it could just be having a 50, 50 Manhattan instead, but are there things you would do to, to take the edge off of a, a Manhattan? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think similarly, you know, similarly having that, that kind of richness can play into it. Again, it depends on, on what vermouth you're using. Cause there are some really rich ones. Like if you're using Carpano, I feel right. like, it's already quite rich. Yep. Uh, but if you're using like a, a French sweet vermouth, they can often come off quite dry. Uh, one trick I, I like to use, especially if you're using cherries in your Manhattan, is, is maybe using a bar spoon of the cherry liquid mm. uh, in there as well. You have that kind of like kind of preconceived flavor that's going to be existing in your your Manhattan already when you see the cherry. Uh, the liquid is, I mean, if they're well-made cherries, it's delicious. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about like the neon uh, red maraschino cherries, but yep. uh, something that that has has like some nice, uh, some nice like basic spice notes and stuff like that. I, I think that's a good option. I mean, the other thing as well, um, when it comes to martinis and Manhattans, like I don't think you have to be beholden to like the right rate to the ratio. Like, there's a right ratio for everybody. Yep. I personally like my martinis a little bit more wet. I've also been known to enjoy an inverted Manhattan, which is, yep. you know, like more vermouth, obviously, than the than the rye or, or whatever spirit you're using. So maybe maybe it's playing with that as well. And addition to adding in something like the, the cherry juice. Yeah. You know, that is a, a, a great point. Yeah. Like I, I remember when I discovered, uh, I mean, you could just call it an inverted martini, but like, I think somebody at least called it the Astoria and I was like, oh yeah, uh, this is, th- th- this is up, up my alley right here. And yeah, to your point, if you're using Carpano for a Manhattan one day and Dolan the next, uh, Carpano is much, you know, sweeter, richer to Dolan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, the idea of the cherry juice also makes sense, um, as another avenue there. Mm-hmm. I did a uh, real, real quick, and I bet I could find this on your guys' site, but when after a day or a day and a half, you're breaking the skins of the cranberry, uh, is that being Jeff, are you, and uh, you could be using one of your super fancy tools, but are you dropping them in a blender or just, uh, sh- shaking it or how are you breaking those skins? Just if I want to try that experiment on my own. I'm using the fanciest tool that we have, which is a gloved hand. literally that's it i put a i put a glove on on my hands and just like and just physically break them and i i I think the use of um of uh of having like a blender or something like that it just it's gonna break it up a little bit too much you know alternatively a muddler would work just fine but i just i just literally want to like pop the pop the cranberry so you can get that that alcohol infusing not only on the skins, but, but throughout the, throughout the cranberry. Yeah. Yeah. So you're letting the cranberry sit in the tequila for about a day. You're popping them. Then you're dropping them back in there for another hour, another day. How is that kind of working before you're straining it out eventually? Uh, I mean, in all honesty, I, I, 
for for me when i'm when i'm making these processes it's it's all derived by me tasting and, and sure fair and enough cooking. fair and enough so uh our our bar team we've noticed yeah like one day whole cranberry one day uh like kind of popped a cranberry and then the next day is like is very good to go it's very rich but i i wouldn't i wouldn't get hung up on it as a if you're a home bartender trying it at home like just taste it and you know like it's it's pretty difficult to over extract a cranberry Fair enough. there's things like tea like if you're if you're throwing tea into into your gin you can really over extract that and it could be really unpleasant um yeah. because of the tannins and yes there's like natural tannins in the cranberry but um yeah i've found that like if you let it sit longer it's it's just going to get you know more flavorful really so i wouldn't i wouldn't worry too too much about it. but okay. i would say there is a minimum like you know you could you could throw it in for a, a day and it could get the color, but you know, maybe a day and a half, two days more than that is, is what you're looking for. Okay. Terrific. I appreciate it. Um, so I've got like one other question in mind and that's just in case uh, you also have anything uh, we haven't gotten to, you'd love to talk about just to kind of see that, but you know, working in a place like the lab, I have no doubt the, um, the number of experiments that can be run are just, you know, near infinite, but do you ever think about the industry in terms of like, you know, is there ever like a point where we can go too far or when we'll have discovered most things, or is it just things continue to infuse? Like where do you think bartending will be in five years or 10 years? Do you have a, a way of even thinking about where we're headed right now as a field? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a really interesting question and something that you know I, I talk a lot about with with other bar friends of mine the idea of like reaching peak cocktail you know that kind of mm-hmm. thing um i think it, it it's gonna it's it's going so many different ways you know and i i think that's the exciting thing about about the cocktail world is you know we are a relatively new part of our societal experience mm-hmm. i mean alcohol has existed for you know forever in different ways uh, dining has, exp- has existed for a very, very long, long time, but the cocktail uh, world and the and the way that cocktails are curated and and crafted and and how they fit into our dining experiences, our social experiences, you know, our personal experiences is so multifaceted. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, like I think that part of it is you know cyclical, and and we're starting to see the return of like really dumb drinks and really like really silly blue like whatever and and yep starting to see things that are like reticent of drinks from you know the the 80s 90s which oftentimes people think of as the the dark ages but i think revisiting times like that with with like really thoughtful curation of ingredients can be really fun um so that's the side of it i mean the side that the side that botanist is is really stuck on or is, is really focused on excuse me is is a little bit more of that, that nuanced curation and, and, you know, storytelling. And, you know, I, like when people ask me what our bar program is, I always say it's in the name, you know, and, and I, I say botany is, is what we're, what we're interested in. And botany to me is that, is that kind of the, the sliver in the Venn diagram between science and nature and how we kind of curate that, that element. So I, I, I guess all of that to be said is, is it's just, it's, it's, the future of, of cocktails and the, and the future of of making drinks is is multifaceted and it, it kind of permeates through different things and i think that's what's exciting 
because you know a place like botanist and the program that i run here that wouldn't fly you know in the in the 80s 90s even 2000s when people were starting to look at like prohibition era cocktails and speak right. like we right. are not we are not that and and we're very different um conversely same too with you know people like kelsey ramage who who create things like trash tiki like that's a new avenue of, of sustainability and of, of stewardship and and of those kind of things that you know were thought of 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago so i, I to answer your question i i think it's we'll never reach a point where we've gone too far um and discovered everything because you know we're always finding new things and and that kind of thing but we're also the the um the evolution of cocktail culture and, and and history really relies on the people who who run it and who who are excited by it and those people again like i said the best bartenders are multifaceted individuals and will bring their own identities and and thoughts and and processes to the to the fore yeah and you're you're definitely right in that uh you're seeing you know the the emergence of more the maximalist than the minimalist cocktail now but that doesn't mean the minimalist cocktail's gone and yeah you've got Miami vices popping back up and so yeah it's a uh, uh diving deeper rediscovering and just watching things atomize because different bars are doing different things as opposed to cocktails are this one thing so you are yeah no that makes that makes real good sense yeah 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 uh, well, Jeff, like regarding uh, if people want to see the crazy stuff happening at Botanist and, or, or follow your own work, where should they where should they look you guys up at this point? Um, well, I mean, Instagram is, is, is still something we, we happily use. So uh, my personal one is Father of Cups, just as it sounds. Um, okay. And then Botanist is Botanist Dining as well. So, yeah, I mean, please throw us a follow. We we're in the mode right now of doing some really interesting collaborations. Uh, so that's always super fun. And that's kind of the first Avenue to see that, um, you know, in the past little while we've done, uh, we had Masa uh, here with Katana kitten, which mm -hmm. was like very, very fun. And that, that man is, is a perfect specimen of a human being. Um, <laughs> uh, and we, we also, we also had Harrison and Ricky up from uh, saga overstory crown shy, which that was super fun as well. Those guys are, those guys are absolutely awesome. Uh, coming up in November as well, we've got uh, the, the people from Hanky Panky coming through mm. uh, from Mexico City, which that one is, is going to be really exciting. You know, our our executive chef, Hector Laguna, uh, is from just outside of Mexico City, and he's like very, very excited about it. Um, we'll be hosting that on Dia de los Muertos, which is like, yeah, I mean, how much more fun can you get? So, yeah, I, I think that uh, our Instagrams are maybe the best way to do that. Uh and then, yeah, like, please, anybody who's listening to this uh, and your, yourself uh, included, Chris, please come sit at the bar and chat. That that sounds uh, tempting. And yeah, I mean, I need to make my way to Vancouver for that because you're right. Dia de los Muertos for that. That sounds, uh, that sounds perfect. Jeez. Super fun, right? Yeah. 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 Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Is there anything else we haven't covered that you'd want to get in that we haven't uh dug into um i think we've talked about some really fun things obviously i like i love talking about cocktails um i i guess just the other the other thing that i that i think would be is really important to to mention when, when you're talking about the history or sorry the the future trajectory of cocktails and 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 cocktail culture i i think 
one of the things that's, that's really excited me and really inspired me about uh, the way that my colleagues have gone about things and, and what I see in our bar as well is it's just like kind of um, self-awareness, I guess, when it comes down to, to it is, is self-awareness of, of inclusivity and, and building safe spaces is, is super critical when it comes to, you know, making fun cocktails. I think that, you know, you, you, you did quote me correctly on saying the difference between a bartender and a mixologist is about 10 minutes per drink. Um, but I also think that one of the things that's really, really important uh, for bartenders, and we've seen it uh, time and again, is the importance of creating a, a safe and inclusive space uh, for people to enjoy drinks. You know, um, there's a lot of not nice things happening in our world right now, and it's it's hard to hard to pretend that that doesn't exist. Um, and I think of my job as you know creating that quote unquote third space, you know, from work and from home and personal life to to engage with other people and to 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 be feeling like you're part of a you're part of culture and part of society. And in my estimation, and and in everybody's uh, estimation of bartenders that I love and respect there is absolutely no space for anything other than acceptance and and tolerance um and uh yeah I I think when it when it comes to the to the future of cocktails bartenders that I know here in Canada and and around the world uh it's in good hands and I'm I'm quite excited to see how that progresses um and and what a little bit more inclusivity can mean uh to cocktail programs around the world Jeff, are there, uh, for anybody that that rings a bell with, are there any uh, resources or general watch outs? I mean, obviously, if there's very flagrant things happening in a workplace, I mean, that's easy to pick up on. But for people that say, hey, you know what, he's right. And we're not a mean place, but we're not making enough of an effort. Is it just purely about being more mindful? Are there things you'd recommend people look up if they wanted to dig into this a little bit more yeah i mean i i think that you know pretty much anywhere you you are um in in your city i think there's a lot of uh, resources that exist within that within that city uh so i think a, a quick rudimentary like uh search throughout uh throughout google and whatever to to see like because I, I i can speak to what exists here in canada uh, and I can speak to some amazing, amazing projects that are happening here, but I want to make sure that, you know, the, the impetus is to, to see what's local, I think. And, you know, each, each uh, community has different uh, demographics, of course, has different social issues and that kind of thing. And, yep. you, know, you know, us here, us here in Vancouver, we have a lot of different issues than, than somebody maybe in, in Tulsa or in, you know, New Orleans and that kind of thing. And so, I would be remiss to say there's 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 some specific things um, that I can point to. I mean, I can, uh, but I, I think the most important thing is to is to connect with your your community, uh, connect with people in a meaningful way uh, to you know to to build that space. For us, um, you, you know, some of the things that, that we really uh, value is you know connections with. Uh, with things like the, the Dandelion Institute, uh, Dandelion Initiative, excuse me, that's, that focuses on um, making safe spaces for, uh, you know, the ensuring that there's no, you know, sexual harassment uh, or, or any workplace uh, misconduct in that regard. I think that's mm -hmm. super important. Um, 
we're also connected with you know a lot of uh, initiatives here in Vancouver uh, that that center around uh, Indigenous people and mm-hmm. respectfully uh, curating space and respectfully uh, like learning through the challenges that we have in in Canada and in in Vancouver when it comes to reconciliation um, and uh, you know an, an, another thing that that we're really uh, I guess. Vancouver is at the forefront for better or for worse and is, is kind of the addressing the, the opioid crisis and, and things like that. And so we really do focus on, on connectivity within those things. But um, I would, I would say again, those are our, those are our things that we need to focus on. And I think that anybody uh, in other parts of the world and anybody who's listening to this, who runs a bar program, just like take a think about, about the issues that are affecting your community, uh, the issues that, you would like to see addressed uh and reach out i mean sometimes it doesn't work out um you know i i've i've certainly reached out to to groups that are like you know this is great thank you but you know we don't want to be you know a part of you know alcohol consumption and that kind of thing which is totally understandable yeah but but sometimes those those connections can be like very very meaningful you know um i i had uh reached out and connected with pre-pandemic uh, reached and connected with a, a group called the Better Life Foundation, um, which, you know, works works to uh, feed people who experience food insecurity. And they work with a lot of different things, but that's that's one of their main things. And um, my experience with that lends me to urge people to, to, to do similarly because it, it really has enriched my life. And it's really taken my idea of hospitality and extended it beyond the bar stools at my bar and extended it beyond the the um the walls of my bar to to see what it, what the community looks like uh and so yeah i guess i guess just maybe uh doing that kind of thing and doing a little bit of the research about what's what's going on in your community and how your bar can help uh has like i yeah it gives me shivers to think about like what what that's done for my for my head and my heart and I can only urge people to do the same, um, same thing in, you know, in different aspects. That's uh, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, um, and I, I do think it's nice to see in many corners of our industry, you know, despite the ravages of the pandemic, I feel like it certainly pushed some of these things even more to the forefront in terms of how do we want to treat people here? How do we make this this career more sustainable as cocktails become more of this pervasive thing. And so, you know, the treatment of the staff, but of course, you know, how do we also, uh, as this industry ascends, how do we become an even better player in our community too? So no, it's uh, very well spun. And I appreciate you also being not quick to, uh, prescribe a specific game plan because yeah, Vancouver is not the same as Mexico city or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I, I, I'm going to definitely, uh, I've not heard of the dandelion initiative before. So I'm going to have to, uh, look, look that up and see what that's all about. Um, yeah, please do. But yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Um, yeah, Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time today. This has been this has been great and giving me honestly quite a bit to think about. So I really appreciate it. I absolutely appreciate the the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. 
The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktails.